Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Okay, this is it. Actually, this is just the first half. You guys do realize that there's a, a spring triad that will be coming up after, I think, about a month break. And we will... I don't put it that way. That's my studies. We'll uh, jump into the second half of Galatians. Um, we'll probably get some new students. We might lose some students. We, some of you students might go correspondence. Um, feel free to, to, to do whatever works for your schedule. Um, I'm, I'll, I'm just saying I'll be available, so... <laughs> Um, so, uh, let me just talk about these real quick that Ryan's getting, putting together for us. This is, uh, the first ten, well, actually, it's the first triad. The very, very first class, which was, um, Icebreaker, in, uh, Introduction to the Course, um, what I call, uh, 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 just, you know, Icebreaker, or whatever. Um, I didn't record that one, uh, don't ask me why. But I recorded the next sessions after that. And the way I labeled them, if you pop this in your computer, it's an MP3, obviously. It's 10 files. If you pop it in your computer, it'll, it'll look something like uh, each file has... Like, well, actually, if you look at the uh, syllabus, that first page that looks like that, where you got the numbers down the list. So I tried to make the name of the file match something like... For instance, the first one in the syllabus is Brit Milah. So in the the file itself is something like O one Briet underscore Mila and that's it. And then it, the, they go down from there. They match the the studies there sort of. Um, when we get down to like say uh, works of law or additional tough phrasing, where we did four weeks on that, it'll say tough phrasing. It'll say O one A O one two or B O one three or something like that. That way. Hi Patrice. Um, but more or less, they are they are designed to be listened to in the order that they are on the CD. Yes. Yeah, they are autographed. You see, it got my signatures on there, right? I hand wrote all those labels. Yeah, so I don't want to see these showing up on eBay, people. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> At least for nothing less than no, I'm just joking. <laughs> all right, Patrice, let's give you credit. Um, Patrice, there we are. So anyway, um, listen to them. Each session's about 45 minutes or so. Um, and the great thing about audio is you can slow down the talking to half speed because I always talk 100 miles an hour. And you slow it down and actually hear what I'm saying. <sighs> in a nutshell, though, in a nutshell, we focused on just to give those. How many, how many are in this class for the first time? I know a few of you are. 
Well, maybe you're not. And you're not too. How many are, I'm sorry, all of you are here tonight for the first time, right? But um, how many are in this Galatians class for the first time? We have a few visitors. You're not here first time. You're a first time visitor, I know. I can just tell you who I think is a visitor. This gentleman right here, this gentleman, this lady, uh, and that's about it. The rest of you people who've been here for 14 weeks, but your minds have been on vacation. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, well, if you can introduce yourself and uh, just, I was, I was going to say tell us why you're here, but um, just an introduction will work. Just, I'll start up front right here. Who are you and how are you doing? <laughs> My name is Christopher, and I'm here visiting the Richards, and I'm actually from Canada. All right. Okay. All right, back here. All right. Oh, well, I, well, it, it is, but it isn't. Um, I, I mean, like, for instance, how long are you going to be here? Till the 25th, okay. So, yeah, um, I made a CD so you can have a CD. We'll put it that way. Make it good enough that I want it back. I'll do my best. Um, I can even, even for those of you who are visitors, I've got extra handouts of notes that were made. So if you want them after class, maybe, maybe I'll end slightly early so I can give you some stuff. I did make enough CDs for you. So if you want a CD, it's almost like you attended but didn't get to, you know. Um, and for those of you who are students and things like that and you want the, the course, I mean, it's great to have go back and listen to. Um, it's technically we're in the halfway mark. It's a 28-week lesson on the study of Galatians. I don't like being off the side there. Um, and we really just established the background to the book of sorts and some of the main issues f- surrounding the writer and his readers. So before we go into the question and answer session, the She'elot Utshuvot, that's questions and answers, um, I'm going to write a word up on the board, and I want the students who are in the class to kind of midrash with me. Um, don't worry, it won't be Hebrew or Greek. It'll be English. <laughs> you guys look give me a funny look when I said that. How does this have rel- how does this bear relevance to the stuff we've studied for the last fourteen weeks? Identity. Someone raise your hand and start midrashing with me. What am I talking about? What do I mean? Michael. So um, I guess the popular That's good. Let's some, somebody pick up on where he left off and just keep going. This is why I'm hesitated to say because I don't know if you'll catch the comments. Otherwise, I'll have to repeat everything you said. But we'll see. If it's if it's salvageable, I'll keep it. If not, but we'll see. Someone else. That was good, by the way. Anyone else want to elaborate on what he talked about? Did everyone hear what he said? For those of you listening by internet, <laughs> um, traditionally the book is is billed as Paul's expose on works of the law and somehow it's 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 trumped up to be uh, Paul's polemic against keeping the Torah but in reality as we read the book perhaps it's not not so much about doing the Torah as it is as is about the identity of the individuals uh, who, to whom Paul is addressing like the Gentiles and the Jews who are we 
in God's view. Who are we really? That type of thing. So let's keep going. Anyone else want to? Hmm, good. Now he mentioned the C word. Somebody help me out. Identity through the conversion process. Now we're getting in now it's getting interesting. Help me out, someone else. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Don't make me say it all into the tape. <laughs> Proselyte conversion. Okay, let's let the cats out of the bag. What are we talking about? Written law and oral law. Before it can be considered clean. That's good. Interesting use of the word clean there. Anyone else want to elaborate on what he said? Mimi? Circumcised or not. Now, tie in what you said to what he said. He said proselyte conversion and you said circumcision. Is there a correlation between the two terms in Paul's day? How so? What's, what is that correlation? It's kosher. Circumcision is part of the... Look carefully. No goat face. Just to start, David. Um, circus, what'd you say? Circumcision was part of... Circumcision was part of the proselyte conversion. In fact, how important was circumcision to the proselyte conversion? It was... It was is, it imp- is it safe to say that um, it was so important that they were really spoken of in the same language? Yeah. In fact, knowing that is one of the keys to understanding Paul's letters, that he uses circumcision as a shorthand way of saying to those who were not Jewish. And, and to the, well, circumcision is one way to call a person a Jew. We of the circumcised. And that's just one way of saying we the Jews. But to say to a Gentile that you need to be circumcised, what is Paul, what's the Jew of the first century really saying to that Gentile? You need to convert. You need to become a Jew. As opposed to today, if a Gentile becomes circumcised, does that make him a Jew? Not necessarily, yeah. So times have changed and terms have been rearranged or something like that. And so first century Judaism, when we talk about identity, we're talking about us versus them. And in first century Judaism, the us was the Jews. And the them were anyone who were not Jews. That is to say the Gentiles. And the dilemma facing the first century community was, what do we do with the Gentiles? And someone might, you know, some not-so-bright Jewish student might say, what do you mean, what do we do with them? What's wrong with them? And the rabbi would say, I'm glad you asked. The problem is, they're Gentiles. That's the problem. They're just (laughs) Gentiles. They just are. And so um, what caused Israel, or how should I say, why would Israel say that Gentiles have to become Jews? Anyone want to elaborate for me? I'm going to write a phrase up here in a moment that will explain it, but... Oh, he didn't raise his hand. But did you want to do you want to yield to him? Okay, she gives her her thing. Go ahead. Oh, th- he got it. Yeah. Ethnocentric Jewish exclusivism. I want credit for this term. I made it up. <laughs> okay? So when you see this show up in the in the in the in the seminaries and then go, I knew the guy who made that term up. Okay, um, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just being funny. <laughs> I did make the term up, but um, 
what I mean by it, ethnocentric Jewish exclusivism is, and or were you going to say what it was? Which governing authorities, Rome or the Sanhedrin? Rome? Rome would have seen it the way that our um, conventional wisdom sees it today. Like the military, for instance. Who's ex-military? Anyone in here? Ex-army, Navy, Air Force, Marines? Army? Army? Army, Airborne. Marine, Ranger? Ranger. Uh, airborne, Air, Army. Okay, uh, your Army too? Did you say you were ex-military? Oh, really? That's right, chaplain assistant. Okay. Um, what are you guys, like uh, 11 Bravo? 1-1 one, one Bullet Catcher? No? You were airborne, so. <laughs> All right. Um, in the military, when I joined the military, on my papers, they asked for religion, and I put Messianic Judaism. And they called me back in the office, and they said, what is this? <laughs> and I said, it's a Jewish person who believes in the theology of the Christians. I didn't say a, Jesus per- a Jewish person who believes in Jesus, because that doesn't really answer the question. They, they needed an explanation. And my first sergeant locked me up in his office until he, I would give him an answer. And we were there for several hours, and he never got his answer. I explained to him over and over again about a Jew who believes the way the Christians do. And he just wouldn't accept the answer. So, right, And this was right in boot camp, obviously. So I, I realized that there's a conventional wisdom that says that you have to be one or the other. You're either Jewish or you're Christian. That's the way Rome thought. You're either Roman or you're a Jew. But you can't be someone in the middle who is not a Jew but doesn't worship the emperor. Because that's what Paul was asking the first century Christians to do. In fact, in my opinion, the first century Gentiles had a lot more at stake when it comes to, to um, uh, keeping true to their faith than today's Christians do. I mean, I, I'm not trying to negate the persecution that today's Christians go through. But in the first century there wasn't that freedom of saying, you know, I'm a Christian, and I just, I, I, and give me that right, because Rome didn't accept, until Rome became the official religion, then it was different. But before then, for the first few hundred years, wow, talk about rocking a hard place. Paul's saying, don't convert, and he's saying, don't go back to paganism. What do we do? Die, die. yeah, exactly. That In a word, die. Yeah, exactly. So, ethnocentric, did that answer your question, by the way, Mimi? Or did that address... Oh, <laughs> what this term what this term refers to is that the Judaisms of Paul's day felt that it was necessary to toe the standard theological party line that Jews and only Jews share a place in the world to come. Now, there's two sides of that if you listen to it: Jews and only Jews. So, what they mean is all Jews and only Jews, not all Jews and whatever Gentiles join, and not some Jews and other not and and. and so it's all, both sides are important, all Jews and only Jews. So that's why Paul, Peter would say to the voice of heaven in Acts 10, No, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And God would say, don't call unclean what I've cleansed, or don't call common what I've, what I've cleansed. The, the idea is that since it was dealing with people, the Jewish people held to the idea that Gentiles were intrinsically unclean. And whether that was because they were created that way or because they just behaved that way or because they became that way because they just were Gentiles, it doesn't matter. The, the end result was that they were rejected wholesale. So um, 
we have a difference of opinion as to whether Gentiles were viewed as intrinsically unclean or they were just un- they were clean, but they became unclean through their defilement of, of pagan uh, uh, practices. But either way, it, it, it resulted in the, the stigma placed upon the Gentiles that they, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. They cannot be covenant members. Thus, this nationalism is what it, what it is today. If I were to use a non-fancy word, it's just nationalism. Um, Mark, I'm sorry, not Mark Nanus. Uh, E.P. Sanders calls it covenantal nomism. Um, ethnocentric Jewish exclusive and says we are ex- exclusively Jewish people based on who we are. And by the way, I don't know if you're seeing this um, from a Jewish point of view. This is grace. Doesn't look like it, does it? This is grace. After all, Jewish person in the first century, not the pro- not the proselyte, but the not the Jew. We're Jews by birth. Remember that whole scenario with Paul. We're Jews by birth, not Gentiles. Okay, Jews by birth. How'd you get that way? I was born that way. Is that grace or is that something you control? It's grace. Yeah. So they saw it as grace. Yeah. They did not have this. So here's what we're trying to say for those of you who are visiting. The view, the popular view within the church that Paul was combating a works-based salvation. When I say works, I mean some type of man-made system of rules that I could jump through the hoops and, and please God. That wasn't practiced in the first century by and large. That's, that caricature doesn't fit the first century phenomenon but that's the way the church sees the first century and the label that they put on that the sticker that they put on that whole problem that they call legalism is really and watch this let's be careful it's really jewish lifestyle aka torah observance because they're one and the same to live like a jew the greek word eudaidzein means to walk according to the the way the jews do well how do the jews live they live according to the torah so it's a unique lifestyle the Torah and the lifestyle of a Jew are they're they're, they're interwoven. You can't you can near you can't nearly separate them, as opposed to all the other people groups, right? So um, the church looks at that and says we're no longer under the Torah. We're no longer under legalism. In a word, we no longer have to live like Jews. In other words, we don't have to do the Torah. We don't have to live like Jews. And why should we? They say we're not Jews. The Torah is for Jews. I always thought that's interesting. You ask the church today, who's the Torah for? They'll tell you Jews. You cross the street to the synagogue and ask them who's the Torah for, and they'll say it's for Jews. And yet they're both wrong. Isn't that weird? Um, in a, to, a, to a degree, they're both wrong. It's not for Jews exclusively is what I'm trying to say. All right, and David, who's got David Stern's version? Okay, David Stern's a good version how, because he, he realized when he wrote his commentary to Galatians or when he wrote his version, he thought... There's something not right here. We can't just say that Torah observance is completely bad and throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's what the church did. So he went carefully back through Paul's letters and realized something peculiar is happening. Maybe it's good Torah, bad Torah. And so David Stern separated good Torah from bad Torah, and good Torah he just calls Torah observance, and bad Torah he calls something like legalistic perversion of Torah commands or something to that effect. Um, He's trying to uncover the meaning of the phrase works of law, ergon namas, and under law, uponomon. Um, he knows that they're being used technically, but he doesn't know exactly how. And he did a pretty good job for the materials he had to work with. But unfortunately, using the information that we have up to date now, this makes his version slightly off the mark. Because it wasn't really a legalistic perversion of Torah that Paul's combating. It was actually the perversion of identity <laughs> that Paul's convert, And that's a kind of a legalism, but in a different, it's a different spin on it. Does anyone not know what I'm ca- talking about, or is everyone kind of online with that? Okay. Then do you have questions? Did you guys bring like the little? Remember what I told you? All right. Well, let's 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 do it then. Um, gosh, just.
pass them up to the fr- what are they in little strips or something? <laughs> Do I need to bring an offering plate from upstairs? <laughs> Seriously, you're shaking your head. Um, I ask you guys to bring questions about. Okay, just throw them in my bag there. Don't take anything out of the bag. My commentary to Genesis there. Um, just throw the question. If you have the question, throw it in the bag. Yeah. This feels like Christmas. <laughs> I. You guys have some. Okay. There, there, there better not be a goat face on this picture. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? No? Okay. The reason we did this is that way everyone gets a chance to get their question, and yet we're going to do them randomly. I'm, you know, I'm going to do this number, right, and see which one I pull out. And we're going to discuss them as a class. This is not, let's give him a question that Ariel, see if he can answer. Let's play Stump the Rabbi. That's not what we're playing. <laughs> we played that in Yeshiva, and it's fun. Three more? Sure. Two more? Sure. <laughs> is this from you and you, or is this you twice? Gosh. I surely should have established some ground rules. Okay. <laughs> this is meant to be for your benefit, as well as mine. I'm convinced that as a teacher, you guys have insights that I don't have. That's why I attend classes like this. You guys think you're learning from me. Ha ha. You guys have been fooled. I'm here to pull pull the information out of you so I can learn some more too. All right, let's take this one, first one. All right. A blimp, a chimp? No, all right, let's see. Um, Okay, and and this is great. It's anonymous. It says, what was Paul's issue with Peter? I'm assuming whoever said the question, we're talking about um, Galatians chapter 2. What was Paul's beef with Peter? What was Paul's issue with Peter? Do you guys want to help answer? What was Paul's issue with Peter? Whatever it was, it was important enough for Paul to call Peter on the mat. I mean, we're talking about pulling rank, because, right, Peter walked with Yeshua, and who's Paul? Just some Johnny come lately. And yet Paul is rebuking Peter, walking, running three theological circles around him. Because Paul's a simple fisherman. In Hebrew terms, we will call him a guter yid. <laughs> Actually, that's Yiddish. We, he's just a good Jew, which... which, which in today's parlance, that means he's a hick. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a country bumpkin. <laughs> but Paul was a Pharisee, and he had training, he had schooling, you know, so he could probably throw out some big words, and Peter would go, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, no, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever you said. So what's the beef with Paul? Do we need to read the passage to look at it real quick? What? Wasn't pork. Yeah. While you guys are while you guys are turning to Galatians chapter two verse fourteen fifteen and sixteen, um, do you remember I mentioned uh, Tim Hague, who has a commentary that you can get on Galatians? That's the commentary if you care to print it out. It's two hundred and sixty pages, and he writes small. Yeah, so that's that's Tim Hague's commentary, verse by verse, very thorough. Uh, about 50 bucks, I think. Tim, if you're listening to this CD, I'd like my royalties <laughs> for promoting your product. You can get it, yeah, your commission. You can get it on his website at torresource.com. And it comes with an audio set, too, of 50 hours, 60 hours of commentary like I'm doing now, but on Galatians. All right, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and 16. That's really the meat of Paul's argument with with Peter. It says, what was Paul's issue with Peter? 
Let's read the verse real quick. But when I saw, verse 14, Paul's recounting, obviously, of a story. When I saw that they were not walking a straight path, keeping in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Kepha, Peter, right in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Goy and not like a Jew, why are you forcing the Goyim to live like Jews? I'm reading from Stern's CJB. We are Jews by birth, not so-called goyishy sinners. Even so, we've come to realize that... that a, I'm going to read Stern's version on tape this time. Even so, we've come to realize that a person is not declared righteous by God on the ground of his legalistic observance of Torah commands, but through the Messiah Yeshua's trusting faithfulness. Therefore, we too have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua and become faithful to him in order that we might be declared righteous on the ground of the Messiah's trusting faithfulness and not on the ground of our legalistic observance of Torah commands. For on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, no one will be declared righteous. Whoever said Paul was wordy. All right, what's Peter's? Be- what's Paul's beef with Peter? The question says, what was Paul's issue with Peter? What was his issue? You guys want to midrash with me? Man-made ritual? What's Peter's hypocrisy? What's what's Paul really trying to call him? Call uh, uh, that exclusivism? His actions? You want to elaborate a little bit, Lori? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay to hang out with him. Yeah, and we kind of scratch our heads and wonder, gosh, Peter, what, what's, what's your deal? You walk with Messiah, get a clue. The scenario is this. Peter, just like she said, Peter is seen eating with Gentiles. Now, it doesn't say what they're eating. So some might say, well, they're, Peter's eating pork with them. The text doesn't say that. So it's safe to say that they were still eating kosher food. After all, that would have been the norm. The exception would have been if Peter broke kashrut. After all, didn't he say, I've never eaten anything unclean? So it would seem, seem best to say that they're eating kosher food, but the fact is he's eating with Gentiles. And then when the men from James came, whoever they are, we, and, and they're not necessarily, when they say they came from James, that doesn't necessarily mean that they had James' authority. Like, for instance, all of you attend the harvest. Most of you do. Some of you don't. You're not, you don't, you're not a member of the harvest here, right? Okay. But if one of you were to, say, visit another congregation, and the other congregation were to describe you, they might say, that man from Kehilat to Nuvah. Let's say they saw you playing the hypocrite at their congregation. They might say, describe it that way. That man from Kehilat to Nuvah. And that might lead them to believe that that's what we teach. But in reality, it's just his own weakness, but he does belong to us. So when it says the men from James... That's kind of what Paul's trying to get at. He's not really saying that James toes their party line, but they may have said that we're from James, you know, thus trying to give some authority. I mean, after all, who was James in the first century? Yeah, he's head of the Jerusalem council. I mean, he's, he's some head honcho. So they might have said, well, we've got the authority of James, so you've got to do what we say. And yet, really, if it got back to James, James might say, I don't teach that, that Gentiles are dogs or cockroaches. I don't teach that. Who they, why'd they say they're from me? That's just what they said. So either way, Peter's, Peter uh, cowers under their authority. So Peter's eating with Gentiles before the men from James show up. Now the men from James would represent what I might call today like Orthodox Jews. Whatever they were, their presence represented the standard Jewish exclusive of, as exclusivism party line. So that Peter's really, he's really trying to, sh- he's being two-faced, right? He's like, you know, no Jews around? Okay, good, I'll hang out with the Gentiles. <gasps> Some Jews are here, I better stay away. And so the idea is that he's, um, he's seen with the Gentiles. Just to be even seen in close enough contact that you're having table fellowship is from a standard Jew, first century Jewish position to live like a Gentile. Just to hang out with them. Just, it's the same charge they level at Yeshua. You know, he hangs out with sinners. So what does that say about his character? 
right? Because Joshua was seen hanging out with sinners all the time. Yeah, of course. So the same thing's kind of going on. So when Paul comes along and here catches wind of this, why is he so upset? Why is he so upset at Peter? What's the big deal? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, earlier up in the chapter, it says that, um, I think it's in this one, yeah. It's in verse 7. I'll read verse 6 and verse 7. Moreover, those who were the acknowledged leaders, what they were makes no difference to me. Uh, God does not judge by outward appearances. These leaders added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the good news for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Kepha had been for the circumcised. So either way, if Peter's supposed to be taking care of the Jewish people in that community, he's not doing a very good job by going behind their back and pretending like he likes the Gentiles only to show up in front of them really and and pretend like he doesn't like them. And then we back that up with Peter's own confession in Acts 15 where he says... Here we are. Um, Oops, not that one. Is it Acts 15? Turn to God, the Mexican communities have as necessary that the bank should hear the... Yeah, it's, look at this. This is funny. This is Peter talking. The emissaries and the elders met to look into this matter. Verse 7. After lengthy debate, Kepha got up and said to them, this is Peter talking, Brothers, you yourselves know that a good while back, God chose me from among you to be the one whose mouth the Gentiles should hear the message of the good news. And yet the leaders decided, no, Peter, you go to the Jews. So um, before the decision was made formally that he should go to the Jews or at least take care of them. Sometimes we misunderstand go to as he ignored the Gentiles, but that's not really what it meant. Um, But at least Peter's admitting here in the Acts 15 council that, hey, you know what? I think I have a message to the Gentiles. And so Paul and Peter would be in agreement if that message were consistent. And what should the message be? That salvation is offered to all who would confess faith in Yeshua. That is to say, all who would surrender to Yeshua, whether Jew or Gentile, God will accept. And God does not require or pre-require, prerequisite, any type of conversion. Whether it be conversion from Judaism back down to Gentile Christianity, hint, 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 or the reverse. Did everyone catch the hint there? Why I was saying that? Because more or less, that's what we're teaching today. You're a believer in Jesus? Okay, the keeper's got to go, the tzitzit has to go, you've got to start eating pork. In a word, you've got to backwards convert or something. That's kind of what the church... And, and at some point in time, the church towed that party line. They forced Jews to eat pork to prove that they were part of the church. That's like the reverse of what the Jews were forcing the Gentiles to do in the first century. Gosh, we don't learn a thing, do we? We men, we Jews and Gentiles, we're just really, really stupid outside of the Spirit of God. Both of us are really, really dumb. So, um, so back to uh, Galatians 2. In a word... Peter's, Paul's upset with Peter because Peter is not preaching by his very actions the message that Jews and Gentiles are equal. It had nothing to do with Torah observance there. It had everything to do with the identity again. Being, being seen with the Gentiles was just was the problem. So Paul just, and whether or not Paul explained all of this the way, whether or not Paul wrote this for the readers of the letter, or he actually said all those, we have come to realize that a person is not declared. Why would he have to tell Peter that? Hello, Peter should know that, right? So maybe he's just reiterating. We don't really know exactly what he said to Peter, but if we take it at face value, maybe he said the whole thing, maybe he didn't. Um, whoever wrote the question, did that explain the answer a little better? Okay. Again, I've heard it explained that Peter was caught eating pork with the Gentiles, and then when the Jews showed up, he went back into Torah observance. Okay, watch this. 
So he, he forsook the Torah to be with the Gentiles. This is my Gentile side of the room. He forsook the Torah to be with the Gentiles. But then when the men from James showed up, he jumped ship and went back over to keeping Torah, keeping Torah, keeping kosher. And Paul shows up and he's upset because the hypocrisy is that he's going back under the law, not that he's being seen with the Gentiles. The hypocrisy is that, why are you doing those Torah things? That's all done with. You should be with the Gentiles. And that's true, you should be with the Gentiles. But why are you pre- pretending as if we, we have to keep living like Jews? We don't have to live like Jews anymore. It would be what today's scholars would say Paul would be saying to Peter. Peter, slap, slap, slap. We don't have to keep Torah anymore. You don't have to live like J- Jews anymore. That's all done away with. Slap, slap, slap. You know, yuck it up with the, with the Gentiles. So, um... And have a ham sandwich and enjoy it. Um, gosh, I wish I had time to read for J. Vernon McGee's. You guys, you heard it. <laughs> it is very, very humorous, his, his uh, take on that. But maybe I will. I don't know if I have time. Um, okay, let's try another one. But does that answer the question? Whoever, whoever, whoever submitted that question, lock the door. Yeah, lock the door so Mark can't get in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, stop it. Don't do that. Okay. All right. Let's grab another one. Hopefully it won't be the same question. Here we go. Why does Paul refer to Galatians as foolish? The Galatians themselves? Oh, you foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Whoever wrote the question is referring to chapter 3, verse 1. I like Stern's version here. You stupid Galatians. (laughs) You mindless Galatians. Who has put you under a spell? Um, Why does he refer to them as foolish? Well... Without being, without being dogmatic, because uh, I'm not exactly sure why he would go into this language, but part of it has to do with the fact that he says, before your very eyes, Yeshua was clearly portrayed as having been put to death as a criminal. I want to know just this one thing from you. And he goes down and talks about the whole identity thing again. And then he asks them rhetorically in verse 5, what about God who supplies you with, who supplies you with, the, with the Spirit and works miracles among you? Does he do it because of your, and, and I think your versions say works of law, uh, right? Is that what it says? Or because you trust in what you heard and are faithful to it. The idea is that the psalm says that a fool is a person who, having been exposed to God's gracious offer of salvation or just provision, is a person who rejects that. And in this case, the Galatians are possibly, and, and it's funny that Paul uses the word under a spell, because the, the, he, the Greek word, who has bewitched in your version? Who hath bewitched you? That's closer to what the Greek is actually saying. The idea is that Paul's, Paul is so frustrated that they are, that his students are considering giving up on the spirit and joining this whole ethnocentric identity lie. Paul is so upset that he's thinking, maybe somebody came in and just whipped a spell on him. In other words, he's, he's possibly giving a possibility that and this is this is a little odd coming from Paul, but you got to kind of understand who his audience is and the and the, the the people of their day. He is aware that there are demonic influences, but he's he's really trying to think. You know, is it the flesh that they turned, or did someone really kind of come in and whip up some magic? And if you think that's foolish, consider that today's ultra orthodox rabbis, some of them at least the ones in Israel, some of the ultra chabadniks, whip up spells against the leaders that they don't like. Like the people, like uh, Itzhak Rabin when he was assassinated, there were some some Kabbalists who were whipping up spells to try and get him removed, to try and kill him. And so when he says, "Who has put you under a spell?" he's trying to think, "What happened? <laughs> Where? How did you guys fall?" He's not really just. In other words, it's more than rhetoric. You know, he's not saying that rhetorically. Who put you under a spell? Uh, it's there's every possibility that 
maybe someone came in and worked some 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 did some signs and wonders and showed them proof that what they were wasn't good enough and that they had to go the other direction. Um, that's possible. And in that regard, you foolish Galatians would be um, not so much um, not so much like, like let's say he tr- spills the milk. Like, what are you, an idiot? Not like that. But rather, you, I mean, it, it, it's more real. Like, are you, an idiot? you are an idiot if that's what you're doing. Not, are you an idiot? But you are an idiot. Um, he's not saying, are you stupid? Is, does anyone have it where it's in a question with the very first clause? It's a statement, right? He's not asking them, are you stupid? Are you daft? He's actually saying, you are daft. In a, in a sense, he's trying to shock them back to reality, and that is harsh language. I mean, especially when he gets to the point where he tells the the detractors that he wished they would just emasculate themselves. Um so I th- I get the impression that when he says you stupid Galatians, there's two parts to that. Either A, you're stupid if you've fallen for the trick, and B, he is trying to shock them back to reality. So there may be a little more there, but Paul is so terse in his Greek, and he, every translation catches this, there's no way to exactly tell what he's saying at this point because he is writing rather rapidly and upset. He, whatever it is, he's heated. He's upset. At some point in time, he doesn't even finish his sentences. It's like he's either writing or he's dictating and his... The, his scribe is writing for him and he writes and he just he's he's saying what he wants to say and I, I picture him pacing and like to say he's my scribe and tell them that tell them that <clears throat> then he just goes off the other room and storms off for a while and the scribe's like you know and then Paul Paul comes back in the room and says okay um, let's talk about Abraham blah 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 and he starts up so what's the scribe supposed to do broken sentence so well just start writing whatever Paul says that's how the Greek works out sometimes there are sentences that are just hanging they're dangling there's nothing left to them so we're, we're not exactly sure where Paul's at at every part in this passage he's, he's just so upset that this could happen to his, his uh, students in Galatia so did that answer somewhat the question? No, I whoever who let me just, for this one I'll ask who submitted that question. Why does Paul refer to the Galatians as foolish? Okay, are you going to attend the next session? We'll cover more of that in chapter three, because we we only made it to chapter two, so you'll have to stick around for the full answer to that. I I can't develop the full answer because I don't have any time. But since I only have one minute left, turn in your homework. <laughs> Those of you who are students, well, raise your hand if you're a student turning in homework, so I can at least know how many I'm picking up. One, two, I should have three, four about. Okay. All right. Does anyone have any questions in my last minute? No? Um, those those of you who visited, do you have internet access? Okay. Um, you know, you, do you know our website address? Do you know our website address? You'll give it to them. Um, yeah, get, go to our website. Uh, go to our website. Right along the top, there are there's a tab. It's a global navigation. So right along the bar, right after our graphic up there, there's a global navigation section, and one says, I think, commentaries. Click on that, and then you'll see a list of like weekly Torah festivals, more lessons or something. Click on the more lessons. There's a Galatians commentary. That's what I use for the template for this class. So you can download it. Read that in conjunction with the audio, and you'll get an idea of what we taught for the last 14 weeks. So, kind of fun. But with that, I'm out of time. 
Last question. Thank you all. You guys, I had fun. For, for those of you who may not come back, I'm sorry I offended you. <laughs> Can I give you a free CD to make it up? Yeah. You're welcome. You just need one? You sure? It makes a great stocking stuffer. No? Okay. <laughs> I do. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>